1: Hello everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're here again to talk about video games and uh, we felt like doing something a little bit goofy and a little bit fun, so I'm busting out another iteration of the game that I believe I have called in the past, Spot the Dud. Yes, uh, um, I always love these. Yeah, I found a handful of video game reviews, this time coming from GameSpot.com. Uh, that run the gamut in terms of their numerical score, and I'm going to read the review. Uh, in the past, I've read like two reviews and asked you to guess which one is worse. This time, I'm just gonna I'm gonna shake it up a little bit, and I'm just gonna ask you to give me what you think the uh, the score they gave is. Okay, and we're we're just gonna see how close you can get. And for yeah, your okay, for, all right. Yeah, for your benefit, audience, if this is the first iteration of Spot the Dud you've listened to, this came out of a conversation Dylan and I had a while back about how, like, a really good review and a really bad review of a game are pretty clear. And, like, there's a lot that you can get out of well written game reviews about, you know, why a game works or doesn't. And there are some very good game reviewers out there, but the numerical scores are wild. (laughs) yeah and
0: the the amount of uh attention people give to numerical scores
1: is kind of insane yeah uh and so this is just a way of kind of like i wouldn't even call it poking fun just sort of like engaging with that disconnect in a way that is makes for fun content for us um always love doing these so we're gonna start off and i have i have arranged these in unorder uh that we will we will see if you can devise. It is not going from high to lower low to high because that would make okay. things too easy for you, Dylan. Naturally. So we're going to start off with a uh, a certified classic from November 16th of 2004. It's GameSpot's review for B- Blinks 2: Masters of Time and Space. Oh god. <laughs> remember how uh remember how they made a sequel to Blinks the Time Sweeper?
0: Yeah, that was the, the, like, I want to say that was the final Mario
1: and Sonic killer esque mascot. Oh my God. Yeah. They, that was a Microsoft's, like, launch title mascot platformer for the Xbox. And then they Before made a sequel. they
0: discovered that kids just really love shooting people.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to read the whole review. Uh, again, if this is your first time, I sort of cherry pick, uh, snippets that I think are, are evocative of the review as a whole or just funny to read. And uh, kind I tend to give the first and last paragraph and then a little bit, of, uh, little bit of extra stuff peppered throughout that I think is fun. So to get started, uh, the, the slug line is, while there's definitely a deeper overall package, it still lacks de- captivating gameplay or characters you can even begin to care about, the two things you need most in creating an enjoyable platformer.
0: Wait a second.
1: <laughs> you don't need... The enjoyable character... Mario was made of 18 pixels. (laughs) Anyway. As Microsoft's first attempt to attach its name to a cute, cuddly, and double-jumping mascot platformer, 2002's Blinks the Time Sweeper basically fell flat. Aside from the fact that Blinks, a Cheshire-looking kitty with time-control powers, was not a character with much personality, the gameplay exhibited multiple flaws that dampened the overall experience. Now, Microsoft and Artune have re-teamed to deliver Blinks 2: Masters of Time and Space. First and foremost, Blinks 2 is a much less restrictive and significantly deeper game than its predecessor. The addition of cooperative and competitive multiplayer does add some girth to the package. Why did they have competitive mo- Oh right, that was the era of Sonic Adventure 2 Battle and uh um- Honestly, uh, I feel like I, I feel like that like competitive
0: multiplayer was just a common thing in that era. Because I oh think it was, about, but like, like specifically Banjo for like 2, platformer we had, style games, like, a million games. different multiplayer modes. Um, yes. at nearly every game, action game you could play, including Zone of the Enders, had like a kind of shallow two-player uh fighting game mode uh, yeah the star wars revenge of the sith game had a fighting yep. game mode the
1: uh the the weird multiplayer in Star Fox assault was a thing yeah yeah add some girth to the package thank you for that line alex navarro of of gamespot.com oh wait
0: shit i i think i, I, think know, I know that name alex i feel navarro like i've read a
1: uh, giant bomb
0: now or at I, least I, for a time did
1: i definitely know that name i definitely have, have seen uh there's stuff around elsewhere, but I just add some girth to the package. Uh, and some of the silly gameplay conventions that mucked up the last game are gone and have been retooled for the better here. However, while there's definitely a deeper overall package, it's still... that Okay, that's the same as the slug line. Uh, going to mm-hmm. skim through a little bit, find the next little uh, snippet. The other, uh, the other big issue with Blinks 2 is that it is completely devoid of any worthwhile personalities. Blinks may not have been an especially remarkable hero, but now you're playing as your created characters, which barely speak any lines and hardly participate in any of the game's cutscenes. It's almost as though you're an incidental factor in the game's storyline, and it makes it intensively, intensely difficult to really get into any of what's going on. It also doesn't help that none of the side characters are very interesting either. The leader of the TomTom gang is the archetypical, "arg I'm angry boss man, shouting constantly about nothing of any amusement or interest. Similarly, there's no one to latch on to the, on the time sweeper side either. Apart from an adorable looking kitty with a mustache, all of the time sweepers seem to be completely interchangeable, including Blinks himself. It's like the series got a personality replacement surgery, but the doctors forgot to put it actually put in a new personality after slicing out the old ones. This review is so frustrating because I don't think I've learned anything about the game. Like yeah, For what it's puzzles, worth, that is because I'm skipping over stuff because the actual <laughs> okay. like, I'll, I'll find a snippet about the gameplay itself to, to flesh this out. Essentially, the entire game is a back-and-forth storyline between the two sides, the two, like, factions of the game. Both sides feature a very specific style of gameplay. The Time Sweepers, being the masters of time that they are, can control time, much like Blinks did in the first game. Each Sweeper is equipped with a vacuum cleaner-like weapon that sucks up trash and then blows it out again as a projectile weapon. The Sweepers can also collect time crystals to use time to their advantage. You can speed time up, slow it down, stop it altogether, record a specific patch of time, or rewind it, all just like the last game. There's also a new melee attack that lets you simply whack at a nearby foe. However, the bulk of the new gameplay comes on the side of the Tom-Toms. Most of the Tom-Tom missions are stealth-based, requiring you to duck around and hide from sweeper guards. Similar to the time powers, Tom Toms can use an assortment of special tools. These tools range from simple banana peels that trip up guards to grenades that open black holes. Yo, what? That sounds rad as hell. That sounds
0: kind of cool honestly. Uh,
1: while the two gameplay styles are different, all in all the gameplay is very much the same the entire way through. Both teams are required to solve an assortment of very ordinary platforming puzzles, almost all of which are, are removed of nearly any critical thinking on your part, thanks to the game's relentless method of handholding. Most of these puzzles revolve around each character's time shifting and spatial abilities, so sometimes you'll have to freeze time in order to set off a series of switches or use the a special spatial portal in wow, that's, that was not written with the intention of being spoken out loud <laughs> or use a special spatial portal in order to navigate an obstacle while carrying some loot. The puzzles not, are not terribly tough on their own, however for some reason whenever you come upon a specific obstacle or puzzle, one of your team members pops up in the form of a little talking head explaining to you exactly what you need to do. Okay, that does sound that, yeah, that sounds kind of That sounds like it would remove a lot of uh, the potential good from that gameplay concept because like that synopsis sounded kind of dope.
0: yeah, i'm I'm looking at the gameplay, and it just it feels like this game kind of lived and died on its level design.
1: Some of the levels look more interesting than others.: Yeah, there's another um, point in this and the, the paragraph's not terribly interesting, but they mentioned that a lot of the levels feel like multiplayer maps because they they were the multiplayer maps. yeah i can I can definitely see that. Yeah. Uh, closing paragraph: there was definitely an opportunity in Blinks 2 to turn the Blinks brand name around into a quality product, but that opportunity has been wasted here. The additions made to the game simply seem largely perfunctory when you consider that the underlying gameplay is still quite dull, and that the game simply lacks an engaging storyline or characters worth caring about. The fundamentals needed to make a quality platformer just aren't here, and thus Blinks 2 is a game you should probably pass on. What do you think out of 10, this game review, or this game reviewer gave Blinks 2? That Masters of like, Space and Time. By today's
0: standards, that sounds like a 7, but I'm going to say this is a 6.
1: You are alarmingly close. This, uh, this was given a
0: 6.3. Yeah, there we go. I don't
1: know why 0.3 was necessary, but... <laughs> it, it's a third of the way uh, to being a 7, but it just needed a little bit more. Okay, I do have to read this because this is very funny. They have a little, like, list of the good and the bad. Um, Mm -hmm. And listed in the good, one of the bullet points is you don't actually have to play as Blinks. (laughs) And that's very funny.
0: Damn, was Blinks really that insufferable? I don't remember that. I'm expecting, like, a Bubsy-esque, like level of uh annoying or irritating but like my
1: my only exposure to blinks the time sweeper was playing it at the fucking xbox kiosk Uh in the kmart at in marshall michigan in 2002 i I always thought he was like a
0: silent protagonist or something so i really have no frame of reference for this
1: yeah dang but you you nailed it that was a 6.3 uh next up (laughs) we've got pac-man pinball advanced oh fuck okay Uh, Slugline Slugline is Rushed, broken, and ugly are appropriate words to use When describing Pac-Man Pinball Advance Pac-Man Pinball Advance Does a clever job of incorporating the characters and themes From Namco's Pac-Man franchise Into a traditional pinball video game Unfortunately, that's about the only thing that this game does right Between the broken physics and dark graphics Not to mention the egregious lack of a high score list Okay (laughs) The Pac-Man Pinball Advance Suffers from a litany of problems why do you need a high score list on your Game Boy Advance pinball dude, game? Dude,
0: if, if for pinball, I feel like a high score list is essential. It, um, I get it, I, but, but like, on the Game Boy Advance, I guess, Advanced, I guess it does for like passing like around
1: at the playground, passing around at school.
0: Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of, which is yeah. like fine. But like, yeah, because it's portable, it feels like it should be more of a. Well, maybe, you know, because like. No one else plays sin and punishment at my house, but like, you know, I like to compare my own score against my own score. You know, yeah. like what's my personal best? And I guess and that's I feel fair. like if you if you don't have a way of recording your score, there's like even less incentive
1: to like care play about more pa- play more pinball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh the overall concept is a good one. The d- game takes the characters from the Pac-Man franchise and integrates them into a pinball game that involves two different tables, multiple power-up items, and a small assortment of mini-games. There are dots to collect on each table and power pellets to eat which just like the power pellets in the original Pac-Man arcade game give uh give our round yellow hero the ability to chase after and devour four ghosts wandering around the table. Uh there's a little bit more about uh some details there but then it says sadly Pac-Man Pinball Advance is broken in a myriad of ways. The physics, collision detection, and even the graphics actually get in the way of making headway. The controls are easy enough. You use the left D-pad and the A button to control the left and right flippers, respectively, while the other buttons let you bump the table. When you use one of the flippers, however, it's anyone's guess where the ball is going to end up. Sometimes the ball will speed down the lower ramp and you'll uh, activate a flipper only to watch it gently roll into one of the gutters. Other times, the ball will trickle down the lower ramp and go absolutely flying when you bump it off the flat side of the flipper where there shouldn't be any leverage. Momentum and angle also don't seem to have any bearing on how the ball bounces off of walls or bumpers. Basically, the physics are random. To make matters worse, the collision detection isn't always reliable. At times, the ball will pass right through a pin or fail to bounce off one of the bumpers. Uh, Chris? So it's just not playable as pinball is what it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, is it time for me to guess? Uh, I'll give you the, the the final paragraph is two sentences. Okay, Let yeah, let's hear it. Let's uh, hear it. Just like all of the other budget-priced GBA games that Namco has published lately, Pac-Man Pinball Advance is rife with problems that any decent quality control process would have made right. The game was rushed out the door to make a quick buck, and it clearly shows.
0: That sounds like a three or four to me.
1: Well, that again, <laughs> you are right, spot on. It's a three point four. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, all You've, right. <laughs> man, you you fucking took the training weights off for the for this round.
0: <laughs> I feel like we were, like, as, like, games journalists were a
1: lot harsher on games, like, back in the early aughts. Yeah. Also, if you want to spend $21.95, you can buy Pac-Man Pinball Advance at Walmart, according to the ad at the bottom of this screen. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) What? Did we travel back in time? Let's do it. (laughs) Uh, Like, blinks the time sweeper. Yeah, we did it. We we are (laughs) forming a theme. Look uh, at in that. The, in the business, we call that a callback, folks.
0: Oh. <laughs> Next up, baseball. It, it's just called baseball? Baseball. <laughs> cool. The tagline. tells me it is low,
1: like it doesn't have a brand behind it. Uh, tagline. Like so many of the early NES sports games, baseball hasn't withstood the test of time. Following soccer, tennis, and ice hockey, baseball is the fourth NES sports game from Nintendo to hit the Wii's virtual console. While after all these years, ice hockey is still a blast to play, time wasn't so kind to soccer and tennis, and now time has claimed another victim, baseball. (laughs) What an incredible uh, sentence. Like the other early first-party sports games for NES, baseball is a bare-bones recreation of the sport. You can play a single-player against the CPU, there's no difficulty option, or take on a friend in two-player mode. There are six teams to choose from. You know, you may know their names from a little thing called the alphabet. Yes, the teams are simply named A, C, D, P, R, and Y. Other than having different colored uniforms, there doesn't appear to be any difference between the teams. There are no player names, nor are, there, nor are there any statistics to speak of. The action on the field is simple. You can throw different pitches, such as the curve or fastball, by pressing a direction on the D-pad before the pitch is thrown. And while the pitch is headed toward the plate, you can move it left and right. Fielding is hand- handled by the computer, but you do have to throw the ball once the fielder has picked it up. Hitting is just as easy. You can move the hitter around the batter's box, swing with the press of a button, and lay down a bunt by letting off the uh, swing button before you've completed your swing. This may all sound well and good, but there are a number of issues that make baseball not much fun. It's pretty boring watching the computer field for you. Every player is exactly the same, so there's not much strategy involved. And base runners are very slow. It's not uncommon to get thrown out at first base on a ground ball hit deep into the outfield. As the graphics are about what you'd expect from a NES game circa 18... wow, 1985, there's not a whole lot to get excited about from a visual standpoint, but there are a few nice touches such as large player models and umpires signaling home runs. You hear the familiar tune that played during the title screen of many first-party NES games, and there are a handful of simple sound effects, but that's about it. If you spent hours of your youth playing baseball, it may be worth $5 as a piece of nostalgia, but anyone looking for an enjoyable game will likely be disappointed, as baseball is just too simplistic. And that's the yeah, review. Yeah, that sounds,
0: that sounds fair. I'm actually looking up gameplay of this because i i had the baseball game for on my dad's nes um and it actually looks a lot more sophisticated than this (laughs) um god that sounds like a sounds like a i feel like i'm I'm just progressively going lower um (laughs) but that that honestly sounds like a two or three to me yeah you were a little further off this time that was a
1: 4.2
0: okay it just, so, the way they were talking, it just made it seem like it had like absolutely no redeeming value other than a curious look,
1: like a historical artifact, you know? Yeah. But I guess it, it doesn't sound like it was broken in the way that uh, Pac Man was. It. I guess that's probably where they, why the, the difference. It's still
0: functional, which yeah. can't be said about Pac Man.
1: Yeah. Next up, we've got a, uh, I got a banger for you, Dylan. Oh, boy. This is review four. The Orange Box Holy shit, okay <laughs> Yeah So you, you already know the ballpark we're probably going to be shooting for But
0: Yeah, this is going to be a lot higher
1: <laughs> Yeah uh, Here we go It's hard to talk about what valves the Orange Box offers Without immediately falling into an impression of some sort of late night pitchman For fantasy knives and alternative cleaning products that's partially because the name The Orange Box sounds more like some sort of citrus-scented bathroom cleanser than a video game, and partially because this five games in one package is the kind of crazy deal that almost forces you to shout, Now how much would you pay?
0: With three <laughs> amazing new
1: games and two classics all in one package, it's impossible to go wrong with The Orange Box. Uh, this is a very long review because they, they sort of That's have to review each of, each of the individual games, which, for uh, our younger v- listeners, this is making me feel old. Because uh, this review is from 2007. Uh,
0: oh, God. That was... Yeah. Oh,
1: God. Yep. The Orange Box was Valve's release. This was back when Valve was still pretending like they were going to finish Half-Life. Uh, but it contained Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 Episode 1, the brand new Half-Life 2 Episode 2, as well as new the new games Team Fortress 2 and Portal. So I'm, I... Damn. I, I, That's yeah. a
0: stacked release.
1: It was so good. It was, like... Honestly, to this day, every one of those games holds up. Mm-hmm. There is not a game on the orange box that, like... I, I was never that into Team Fortress 2, but there is not a game in that list that isn't fun to go back and revisit. Right. Uh, yeah, again, damn, this review okay. is very long because they're reviewing three brand new games. Yeah, I'm, I don't re- honestly don't even know that I need to read much more of the review. I'll see if I can find a couple of, uh, of choice paragraphs about a couple of games. Yeah, like, but...
0: by all means, like, that might help, because I...
1: Yeah. It's I mean, gotta at be this a point, high we're Also, We're also kind of burdened by our memory of this and what a big deal that release was.
0: Yeah, at the time.
1: Um, let's start with the new stuff. Episode 2 is a continuation of the Half-Life 2 story. It picks up right where Episode 1 leaves off, with Alex helping Gordon out of the rubble of a tra- train crash. I almost read trash can... <laughs> You've escaped from City 17, which now looks more like a smoking crater in the ground with a huge swirling portal over it. But you aren't safe just yet. You've escaped with information that the Combine very much wants to get back for you, so the chase is on again. Fortunately, you'll do much more than just run in Episode 2. The biggest difference here is that Alex doesn't directly accompany you through the entire game. You'll split up much more frequently, so for example, you'll find yourself working your way through antlion nests and crushing antlion grubs all by your lonesome will negotiate a mine with help, the help of a vortigaunt who happens to serve as a uh, subtle form of comic relief. It spouts dialogue that plays off the serious spiritual tone that most of these aliens take, only applying it to things such as crates full of supplies that just flew down a broken mineshaft and out of reefs. These bits alone give Episode 2 a much different tone than the previous games, and there are, but there are also significant gameplay alterations. Episode 2 marks the return of the lengthy vehicle sequences seen in Half-Life 2. There's a large block of action that takes place with you moving from spot to spot in what appears to be a stripped-down Dodge Charger, there are also a couple of big set pieces, such as one sequence where you have to defend the center of a mind from a relentless antlion attacks. Likewise, the game's final sequence takes place in a wide open area and, without getting too specific, feels very different from anything Half-Life 2 has done so far. Although you won't encounter any new weapons in Episode 2, the developers have at least broken down the flashlight power meter out from some auxiliary power that you use to sprint. This is a smart change that doesn't make much sense in terms of continuity between episodes, but it's a handy and the sort of thing you'd wish they'd roll back into the much darker, much more flashlight-oriented action of Episode 1. At about four or five hours, episode two is also longer than episode one. Port- uh, da, 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 they, they're talking about, like, you'd think, was, you'd think that everything else would be minor, and then they say, but Portal is arguably the greatest thing about the orange box. It's a clever mix that combines a first-person action with very focused puzzle solving. It's also completely hilarious. The premise is simple. You're a woman who wakes up in a tiny box inside some lab facility run by a mysterious company called Aperture Science. You're presented with a portal that lets you walk out of the room and into another. From there, the game gradually introduces you to portals and eventually gives you a gun that you can use to fire portals onto walls, ceilings, and floors. Your primary and alternate fire buttons are used to create blue and orange portals respectively, and walking, jumping, or falling into one portal sends you out of the other one. You can also pick up objects into large boxes which often must be placed on large buttons to open doors so you can proceed through a variety of test chambers. Along the way, a computerized female voice guides you and misguides you. The dialogue from the computer supervising your test gets more and more overtly funny as you play and leads to a very satisfying conclusion, including what might be the best end credit song ever written. Wow, I haven't... (laughs) remember back then, they knew. Do not not speak to me of the old magics. (laughs) I was there there when it it was written. Uh, Let's see a little bit about... Team Fortress 2 is the multiplayer component of the orange box that has been a long time coming, almost a decade in fact. But we'll leave out the history lesson and get right down to business. Like its predecessor, Team Fortress 2 is a class based multiplayer shooter in which the red team dukes it out with the blue team. There are six maps in the game, each with its own set of objectives. So, 2 Fort is your basic capture the flag type game, wherein each team tries to get to the basement, collect the enemy's intelligence, a briefcase, and return it home. The rest of the maps deal with capture uh, capture and defense of control points in different ways. For example, some maps put both teams on a course to capture the enemy base, but require you to control the other points on on the map to get a shot at the final objective. Hydro is an interesting map because it takes the control point concept a little further by breaking each point up into its own specific area of the map. After each capture, the game is reset. A different part of the level is used for the next conflict. Wow, it's wild reading this and being like, oh, this is all the DNA that was used for things like Overwatch. Yeah. Oh yeah, you didn't
0: realize that?
1: I mean, I did, but it's weird to, like, go back and read someone talking about Team Fortress 2 contemporaneously. Yeah. Having seen where, like, team-based shooters have gone in the decade and a half since.
0: Yeah, no, um, Overwatch, I'm not gonna say borrows heavily from uh, Team Fortress 2, but it it certainly borrows quite a bit.
1: It's definitely an evolution of the theme. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, there's, there's there's, there's a bunch more about the like, the box as a whole, but that's, that's the, the kind of stuff they were saying about the individual new games, so where do you that, think they rated this game back in 2007?
0: Honestly, that just sounds like a 10. <laughs> um, but, like, that might be going a little off the deep end, so I'm, I'm gonna say in the, in the 9 vicinity. You,
1: you, you're, you again, basically spot on. It was 9.5. Yeah, Okay. Uh, weirdly, the, again, they have the little breakdown of, like, the good and the bad as bullet points. Uh-huh. Uh, the good, Portal is an amazing combination of thought-provoking gameplay and a terrific sense of humor, outstanding sound across all five games, and you won't be finished with everything on the disc anytime soon. The bad, the mm-hmm. only bullet point under the bad is playing through all three Half-Life 2 games in succession makes episode one stand out as a relatively weak link. The only negative that they felt the need of to point out is that half like, one of the games included that isn't even one of the new games feels right. weak by comparison.
0: That's, that's a little goofy, but I get it. If, if yeah. you have to review things based on the whole package. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Also, um, God,
1: just please, Valve, give us Episode 3. Give us Half-Life 3. Give us something. It's been so long. Listen,
0: listen Chris, don't, don't be sad we're not getting it. Be happy, Half-Life exist that you know yeah. what i'm trying to i mean say. i'm
1: this made this genuinely made me want to go back and replay half-life 2 episode 2 mm. because to this day that the and you know minor spoilers for the in the next two minutes for half-life 2 episode 2 i guess if you're worried about spoilers for a game that released 14 years ago uh the final set piece is you having to like careen your way across this enormous, like, forest map in this, like, stripped-down jeep and take out multiple waves of the, like, giant fucking War of the Worlds tripod enemies that are trying to assault the base while the main doctor guy is completing his test work. And it, like... I haven't played it in a very long time, but Uh at the time, it was one of the most, like, wild and unique and over the top set pieces i have edit i had ever seen a video game try to do it was so cool god half life 2 <laughs> half life's a great fucking series those were such yeah those those were huge genre defining i feel like the
0: the issue is nowadays like we we feel a little too ready to give games like oh this this is a masterclass that defines, uh, you know that's going yeah, to define yeah. the genre um and here it's like yeah all these are really really fucking amazing games but half-life 2 episode 1 though yeah and it's, it's why because again
1: looking back on it like half-life ran so that or walked so that halo could run and yeah absolutely at every point along like half-life 2 did things that no halo game at that point had done at least not in the same way and then oh, that yeah, dna definitely. bled over and like it, it it's, it is kind of crazy to look at a review. Like, that's why I wanted to do this one. It's wild to look at a review for what is nowadays considered, like, an absolute classic. Right. And look at what they were saying contemporaneously. Um, anyway, I've got one more for you, Dylan. Yes, let's hear it. We've got... This can't be right. Okay. What? Hang on. No, okay, that must be right. a typo or something. I'm am sorry. Uh, the review is for RoboCop. Okay, <laughs> this review was published again by Alex Navarro, so we're we're back with we're back with them uh, in 2003. But for some reason, underneath where it says RoboCop review at the top of the screen of the page, it also says first release November 1988. Is that when? Hang on. I'm assuming that's when the movie came out. Is it? Is that just a weird goof that I'm not getting? uh, (laughs) Uh, Robocop came out in 1987, so... Maybe? I don't know. Okay, anyway, that's not the point. I just, like, I really got thrown for a second. (laughs) Right. Uh, Anyway, so, Slugline. Despite its lengthy production cycle, Robocop is a bevy of horrible problems that render the game practically unplayable. It's been a very long time since Robocop, Detroit's favorite robotic police officer, has found its way into a video game. Understandably so, since the last RoboCop film to hit theaters debuted in 1993, and the franchise hasn't been used much since. In 2001, Titus Software announced it was planning to bring RoboCop to the current generation of consoles, though updates following that announcement were sparse at best. Two years later, RoboCop has finally made it to the Xbox. The game is a first-person shooter, where you, as RoboCop, have to take down the criminal element of Neo Detroit by blasting your way through every bullet-fodder gang member in sight. Unfortunately, RoboCop for the Xbox is by the lately, and it's the same thing as the sublime, practically unplayable. Okay. Uh, there are nine basic missions in the game, each with multiple sections. Each mission in the game has one primary objective, a few secondary objectives, and some bonus objectives. The primary objective has to be achieved in order for you to progress, whereas the rest simply factor into your final score at the end of every level. All the missions in the game are actually quite long, but turns into more, this turns into more of a detriment than a pleasant, the pleasantry as soon as you realize that you are completely unable to save the game at any point during a mission... Saves only take place at the end of each mission Which could have been okay if the game weren't so mind-bogglingly difficult Practically every mission in the game takes quite a number of tries to get through And dying is an incredibly frequent occurrence Almost to the point of inevitability How can Robocop be so easy to kill? Partially because every level is completely overloaded with enemies And Robocop evidently doesn't know how to duck Every bad guy in the game is armed to the teeth, and though the enemy AI isn't especially adept, they still know how to fire their guns until you're dead, and they absolutely love to do so. (laughs) Oh my god, that's amazing. Uh, RoboCop does have a few different weapons at disposal, such as a machine gun that attaches to his arm, a missile launcher, a grenade launcher, and of course his trusty MGC M93RAP automatic pistol. However, save for the guns that create big explosions, most of them don't really have a whole lot of impact unless you're spot on with headshots shooting a bad guy with practically any gun in the game anywhere other than the face doesn't lend itself towards a productive result. It can take upwards of 9 to 12 non-headshots per enemy to take oh them down, boy. and considering that ammo is limited, this is extremely irritating. Periodically enemies will simply give up after taking 5 or 6 shots in the chest, so you at least save a full p- a sa- so you'll at least save a few bullets in those instances. Adding to the frustration is the fact that the game's auto-targeting system is pretty much broken, and when you uh, couple that with some unwieldy analog controls, you'll find that hitting your target at all, let alone landing multiple shots, is practically an exercise in futility. Okay. Uh, Despite the two-year-plus development cycle, RoboCop is a buggy mess filled with loads of unbelievably obvious issues that somehow dodge their way through the QA process. The biggest of these issues involves collision detection, which might as well not exist half the time. Enemies will frequently just waltz right through walls and not think anything of it. Of course, while their gun is sticking through a wall, they'll have the ability to shoot you, but if you try to shoot back through the wall, your bullets magically bounce right off. Enemies also have an interesting habit of just totally spazzing out at times, depending on how close or in what position you're standing in relation to them. Sometimes moving too far uh, out from their basic firing range will cause their torsos to start spinning around and around like a demon-possessed whirling dervish, and they won't stop spinning until you move that extra inch over to the right. Wow. That sounds like a mess. When it comes to graphics, RoboCop just doesn't look good at all. Uh, and. I gotta tell you, wow, I don't know, this This image is not large, so I'm getting a lot of artifacting as well, but boy actually, howdy, they're, I'm, I'm wa- they're not wrong. I was wrong. Just
0: gonna say, I'm, I'm watching a long play on YouTube. Uh, it looks, you know, it looks charming. It looks like a higher-res Nintendo 64 game. Like it yeah, like, that feels so, like that's kind of what that I'm getting,
1: thing. is it's like it's not atrocious, but it doesn't look like an Xbox game. Right. No, it looks like a Nintendo 64 game
0: that also happens to be running at 60 frames per second.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, final, li- final line. Every single aspect of RoboCop feels like it was just thrown together at the last minute, and the end result is a game that, for all intents and purposes, is just no fun at all. Even if you're a fan of the Robocop franchise, you'd be infinitely better off just watching any of the movies, parenthetical, yes, even Robocop 3, rather than paying full <laughs> retail price for a shoddy product like Robocop for the Xbox.: What do you uh, think?:
0: if I have to guess. That, that sounds like a, want to say that sounds like a five to me. It sounds like it's not fun. It's a buggy mess, but it doesn't sound like unplayable. It just sounds like a frustrating uh,
1: experience with like no polish. Well, we're 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 finishing you off uh, with your weakest get- guess of the of the day really? because oh. it gave it a two point two. Oh
0: damn, that bad. Okay,
1: yeah they they were not fond of RoboCop for the Xbox. All right. Yeah, and that that is the uh, that is the assortment of a moose bouche that I have prepared for you this evening. Um, <laughs> I hope that this was fun for you. I hope this was fun for you, the listener. And again. This is not intended to be like a dig on these reviewers. It's just deeply wild Honestly, to read. These. I I got most of these, so I'm I'm kind of
0: surprised. Like this is the the yeah. First you did slide. better
1: on this. Like you're generally pretty good, and and you've been pretty good at guessing which one comes higher when I give you the sort of paired uh groupings, yeah. which is why I wanted to shake it up. But you like you were spot on for four out of five of
0: them. Right. So. Um, I, I guess they're doing something right. It's just when you start using the numbers to compare games with other games that it all kind of starts to fall apart. Yeah.
1: <laughs> But I think that is all I had for today. We'll be back in a couple weeks with maybe something a little more cerebral. But I always like coming back to this, partially because it's just fun to read reviews for bad games. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to Backstage Gaming. If you like our show, please remember to leave a rating or review wherever you're getting your podcasts. We're available on your podcatcher of choice, as well as on the Apple podcast service, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on all those kinds of places. You can also find us at our website, bsgpod.com, if you want to know more about the show or us, or if you want to reach out to us directly, that's a great way to do that. And also, we're on other social media, like what the things what Dylan's going to say right now. Uh,
0: Yeah, if you want to hit us up on social media, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter, where our handle is at bsg underscore cast. And if you like the stuff we talk about, want to engage with us in any sort of way, maybe send us a review you found amusing. Uh, you can use that hashtag BSGPod. Also, huge, huge thanks uh, to our friend Brennan French for the key art he has provided our show. Um, if you like the art he does, you can check out more of it at his Squarespace at Brennan-French.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N-French.squarespace.com. You can also find him on instagramcom Art and on his Twitter at French.
1: You should also go check out Bioquery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. You can find all of his electronica music by going to soundcloud.com bioquery. That's soundcloud.com B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by searching for Bioquery on Spotify. Thanks as always to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. They are a great network full of podcasts about video games. So if you like our show, you'll be sure to like some of theirs too. You can find all of those shows being retweeted on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. And thank you to our patrons at patreon.com bsgpod. It is your fault that we are doing this still. And it is thanks to you that we are not losing money for doing, in doing so. So thank you so much. It really does mean the world to us that we have the support that we do there. And if you like the show and you want to support us very directly, Patreon is a great way to do that. Other than that, I think we're all set. So I will talk to you in a couple of weeks. And Dylan, I hope it doesn't take yes. that long because I like you quite a bit. Chris, I have something to say. Please. I think if
0: we if there was a GameSpot review for you, you would be a perfect ten.
1: Oh, oh. bye,
0: bye.